In the past two months since I recorded my last podcast episode, I found myself jumping from idea to idea with new videos, topics, essays and plans all swirling around in my head. I was bursting with new philosophical ideas to share with my ever-growing audience and by the way thank you guys for all the support on my coronavirus video the comments were amazing and the growth of my channel even in my absence has been heartwarming and motivating but i found myself always stuck stuck in this pit which i call the ugh zone for me the ugh zone and yes i'm gonna call it the ugh zone (laughs) It's a space where you have all the ideas in the world. You are passionate, enthusiastic, you're ready to face any challenge that the world throws at you, and then you look at a comment thread on Twitter and you are ready to throw yourself out of the window. You see people not caring about a global pandemic, you see how the world is so unequal, so unfair, and you begin to feel overwhelmed. You begin to start feeling very small. You're overcome by a heavy feeling. Your shoulders slump back, they get heavy. It's hard to carry on thinking, let alone walking. And you go head into not the challenges of the world, but the closest pillow. And you take a nap to escape the world and all its terrors. For me, that was my summer. Yes, I had my podcast. Yes, I was more enthused and more reading uh, in philosophy than I ever have before. I was engaging in politics and English literature on a level that I had never done before. And I was really enthusiastic to start this new academic year. But everywhere I looked, I was constantly demotivated by this current state of affairs. And today I want to talk about that. Because I realised on the 18th of September, literally around half an hour ago, you overthink every aspect of your life, Mohammed. You overthink it and you analyse it and you try to decode it. Why don't you philosophise the ach zone? Why don't you look at the ach zone? The ach zone, I'm sorry, I just love the way that sounds. Why don't you look at the ach zone and you try and understand it? What's the philosophy behind the ach zone? What's the psychology? What? do you understand this zone to be and how can you communicate that to your audience and that's what i'm here today to do i i I was gonna write a whole note um like a four couple sides of notes on this and really try to codify it but i realized that this ah zone is a lot more personal and a lot more introspective than a bunch of paragraphs in notes are so I'm going to kind of freestyle it a bit, but I'm also going to try and stick to the main topics. I think there are three main topics here. I think it's balance, pessimism, and hatred. And I want to go over these three topics in ways that are deep, insightful, and understanding. But first of all, my name is Mohammed Hassan. Welcome to the Left Wing Propaganda Machine. It's been two months and two weeks since I've uploaded a podcast episode, and I apologize. I apologize. I'll get into why in this episode I have been demotivated and have been really unable to try and get at a podcast episode. But I think that yeah that's what i'm gonna do i don't think that that's what i'm gonna do in this episode today i'm gonna try and talk about that try and talk about the pessimism i've faced and try and talk about how i've tried to overcome that 
And also, I realised that I have personal statement stuff and I said I do a podcast and I don't want Cambridge or whatever uni I apply to to look at my podcast and be like, why has he not uploaded anything since June? So I need to start uploading some stuff. <laughs> so... <laughs> Cambridge, if you're hearing this, that's a joke. Um, I have been uploading and have been thinking very hard these past couple of months. But uh, no, seriously, I want to go into why I felt demotivated, why I felt this burnout, what we can do with it, how we overcome it. And let's just talk it out. Because this is really what my podcast is in general. It's my passion project. It's my culmination, as I said, in my personal statement of my motivation and my inspiration and my desire to pursue thinking and a discourse beyond just my classroom. Because my classrooms are very boring. I love my teachers. I love my subjects. But I get very bored and very tired sitting in a classroom. And the podcast gives me and out it gives me a way to reach out into the world and communicate without being told that my ideas are wrong by a teacher without having to deal with annoying kids telling me that they disagree with me because they feel like it but anyway let, let's get back in so i said that the three focuses of this podcast are going to be pessimism balance and hatred pessimism balance and hatred Let's start with pessimism first, because really that's what I have been feeling these past couple of months. August and the start of September and getting back to school and the world around me, I have begun to look at it at a very pessimistic state. In a very pessimistic lens is the way that I've been looking at this world. I've kind of gotten a bit of a doomer feel to it. My ideas of the world i have them i want to make the world a better place i do want to get involved in it but i can't lie to you and say that i've yes i've been 100 percent motivated because i just haven't i just haven't been i've been on social media less i've been sharing my ideas less i've been focusing a lot more on the what i call the game of life which is my university application my studies these things which we manufactured as a society but aren't really adding any value to my life i am just merely trying to present myself as the best cog in the machine and i feel like that's kind of gotten at me because there's there's three there's a couple aspects not three maybe more there's a couple aspects of pessimism that i think have really impacted me political pessimism societal pessimism and personal pessimism now these are all obviously linked and personal pessimism is the big one but i want to talk first of all about political uh, pessimism i want to talk about looking at the world and looking at politics more specifically and feeling disenfranchised feeling like you can't do anything feeling like the systems are just too much and you can't defeat them i think for me this is the easiest pessimism to deal with because to get over political pessimism what i've done is i've always looked at history you see, it's very easy for me to look at Trump, to look at Boris the cunt Johnson, to look at the conservatives, to look at the rise of fascism, to look at how our world is disintegrating ecologically because of capitalism and because of the political structures that don't serve the people, but instead serve the minority, instead serve a few. It's very easy to get pessimistic about it. But we have to also say, and I've always kept this, that this is the best time for politics. The current time is the best time for politics. People have always kind of misunderstood me in that one when I speak about it in class because they say that I'm a very pessimistic guy. But I've always thought that it is the best time for politics because everybody has a voice. 
And while people are terrible at sharing their voices, while people are terrible at communicating, it is much better now than it was 50 years ago, than it was 150 years ago, than it was 200, 300 years ago. Our politics is better than what it used to be. It is more free in that sense. We do have more links. We do have stronger ties. Yes, politically, in the institutional level, in the infrastructure, our societies are degrading, 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 I believe is the right word. They are degrading. You know, the welfare state is being cut away. Our social services are being attacked constantly. I understand this totally. But politically, the ability to share ideas, the ability to engage in discourse, this podcast, social media, yes, they have very, very bad sides to them. I won't deny it. Social media and Twitter is terrible for political discourse. But online, honestly, over the summer, I found myself watching lectures of Noam Chomsky, of Slavoj Žižek, of Yanis Varoufakis, reading up about Marx and David Hume and Plato and Aristotle, the amount of information regarding our politics, regarding our philosophy that we have is incredible. I mean, at one point we have to look at the world and we do have to kind of appreciate it. I mean, it's very easy to get lost in a terrible part of the world. It is very, very easy. Politics is a very depressing situation. I will not deny that, right? Understandably, it is a very hard place to look at, especially as a leftist, especially as someone who's anti-capitalistic and you someone who is, you know, against the current state of affairs and essentially all manners of it. It's very easy to feel disenfranchised. I feel like you don't care. But God, just look at history. Look at the look at the fights and the battles that people have had to go through. As a black man, I am very appreciative of my forefathers, of the black men and women who fought for the freedom of black people in the UK, in the colonies, and in America. And I can't ever feel a sense of if they could have done it then, I can do it now too. Reading a speech from Malcolm X or listening to Martin Luther King or hearing the black socialists of America speak and following them on Twitter and understanding their dual power um, motivations and understanding their dual power organizations, sorry, and how they are trying to make the world a better place. Listening to people like Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn ground me. They ground me in the sense that when I get lost in the airy fairiness of my depressive lens on politics i always remember that there are people fighting there are people that have been fighting before and there will always be people fighting hope is a very powerful thing in politics yes hope is very 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 abstract it's not concrete hope won't fix the nhs hope won't end homelessness hope will not destroy capitalism organization winning through elections class consciousness getting people to fight for their rights will hope alone won't do that but it is a damn good source of fuel it is a damn good source of fuel if so if we could source our energy from hope we would be living off it forever it is always going to be there there are always and i truly believe this politically there are always going to be people fighting for you it may look hopeless in America with Joe Biden and Donald Trump, but they have AOC, 
Ilhan Omar, the the progressive wing, pardon me, of the Democrat Party fighting for the rights of the people, of the normal people who want health care, who want social provisions that they deserve due to the human right. And yes, we're dealing with a bigoted orange man and we're facing a climate crisis, a pandemic and a health crisis. We're facing economic crises consistently because of the failures of the market to compensate and to serve the people we are constantly in battle with these things but that is the left the left is always going to be in battle i was reading on anarchism by noam chomsky and there's a part in this i believe it's in on anarchism or it's in another letter or something that he wrote he was talking about how when I believe it is in anarchism, when the fight and the struggle is never ending, the fight for democracy, the fight for true egalitarianism, for true justice, doesn't stop once we elect somebody into parliament, once we elect Bernie Sanders, or once we elect Jeremy Corbyn. You see, it's very easy to kind of get lost in this. Oh, if we just elected Bernie Sanders, man, if Jeremy Corbyn won, everything would be great. No, it wouldn't be. The world would not be fixed like that. Yes, it would objectively be better if Jeremy Corbyn was Prime Minister over Boris Johnson, if Bernie Sanders was President over uh, Donald Trump, if the world had gone to more ecologically friendly sources of um, fuel and of energy and that we were able to get rid of the inequalities that plague this world. Of course, it would be objectively better, but we also have to remember We have to constantly remember that the struggle is continuous, that the struggle is everlasting. Once we fight that first hurdle, once we get over that first um, hurdle, that first obstacle, that first, you know, battle, there's going to be more ahead. And that, that, that's pessim- that's easy to get depressed about. That's easy to be like, oh, the, the struggle is everlasting. But no, the struggle would be everlasting even if we had everything. Even if we had perfect um, ownership of the means of production, even if we had perfect health services and perfect state welfare systems, of course, there would still be problems that we have to face, that we still have to deal with. I think that's what coronavirus has shown us. No one predicted coronavirus. No one on the left, no one on the right. Nobody at all predicted coronavirus. Everybody was, of course, very shocked with it. But we dealt with it in different ways. Things like coronavirus aren't not going to happen ever again. Human beings get faced with biological pandemics all the time, right? It's part of human life, getting ill. But we have to fight to manage these sufferings. We have to fight against them in ways that are strategic, that are ways which are allow us to enthusiastically look at these problems and deconstruct them and tackle them in effective manners. Right now, the problem is that we can't even A, agree that we have problems in the world and B, agree that we have to deal with these problems. I mean, that's the biggest battle right now. The biggest battle for the UK, for the US, for the world is to say, hey, we have these massive crises. We have a economic system that does not work for everybody. We have an economic we have an economic system that is destroying the world that we live in, the natural world that we reside in, and it will not be um, fun to live on planet Earth in fifty years' time if we carry on the way that we are living. 
it would be disastrous. We have to get people to first understand that. But even if everyone agreed on the climate crisis, even if everybody agreed on the socialist um, utopia, even if everybody wanted that to happen, there's still a fight. There's still organization that needs to occur. There's still battles that need to be won. There's still problems that need to be solved. There's still questions about the moral and the political regarding everything from AI to biomedicine to biogenetics to all these things that we still have to deal with. You know, and I think that that's a very motivating force that we are going to be fighting forever. You know, people hear that and they get sad. And I'm saying, in fact, would it not be boring in a sense? I mean, like, this is a bit weird to some people, but we are going to be constantly trying to get the best world. And I think that is beautiful that human beings see the world and they see the world and they say, hey, we are going to make it a better place. And so from the political pessimism, of course, and the fix for that is to understand hope and then the social pessimism as well social pessimism is it's very easy to get lost in the apathy of the world we have been alienated marx was entirely right this is one of my one of my favorite theories from marx is the theory of alienation and how we are truly alienated we are working we feel like cogs in machines we don't feel like people who are people we don't feel human we do feel like a disposable object and that is alienating as Marx said, and it does create apathy. And when I speak to fellow students and when I speak to people my age, of course, I'm enthusiastic and I'm motivated by our political um, power, by the way on social media that we talk about these things. And I truly do believe that my generation is going to be a generation that is going to make the world a better place. I truly do see that from my fellow peers. But at the same time, I see millions of kids lost in this materialistic just bullshit about the world if i'm being totally frank and totally honest my community i have to be honest with you guys i come from a community that is very economically um weak that we, we i do come from a poor community i do come from a bad area and trying to get political discourse here trying to organize trying to engage with the community is practically impossible for me to do so kids here don't get involved in politics because we're not supposed to because the system is not made for people in my area to get involved in politics. I am a, a very exception. Not only am I an exception in the fact that I even understand politics and I engage in it. The fact that I want to entirely engage in it and the level I engage with it. I am a complete exception. I shouldn't be doing, by the, all the statistics, by all the measures, shouldn't be doing this podcast. I shouldn't be engaging in um, um, philosophy in the way that I do and in politics in the way that I do and trying to get to a Russell Group University in the way that I am. But I am. And that, for me, is important. That I am. I am against the stride. I am going against the waves and I'm going against the tide. I think I was supposed to say against the tide, but I said the stride and now I'm just going to roll with it. I told you I'm freestyling this. This is all off the dome. <laughs> but no, honestly, my social pessimism, and let me define that by how I look at my peers and I sometimes I feel pessimistic of, are we even going to be able to do this with who we are right now? I mean, I think that this is a very arrogant kind of pessimism from me. And I do have to kind of be introspective and ask myself, what do I expect? What do I expect from an alienated people who have been disenfranchised? 
I mean, I was thinking about this an entire time, and I was thinking about, you know, socially, and I was looking at the mining towns. I was doing some research on Thatcher's impact of the mining towns. And honestly, even though we, I hate Margaret Thatcher, and I, I think that her grave is the best um, genderless toilet ever. I think it's an amazing genderless toilet. Everyone should get to piss on Margaret Thatcher's grave. I would piss on it every single time I needed to pee, if I could. And, you know, I think we truly did also underestimate her effect, her disastrous policy effect on the UK. And I was thinking about these mining towns and I was I was researching them and I, I was just understanding the scope of how disastrous she hit those mining towns. You have to understand these mining towns, right? These mining towns were stripped of their coal mines and these coal mines are the backbone and i mean the backbone of their communities it's what kept them together it's what kept them together throughout the years of the war it's what kept them together through hundreds of years of social progress right these mining communities these trade unions that were for the workers for the miners there and what thatcher did is she just ripped it out she ripped out the core and the heart of these communities. She ripped it out of people whose grand great-grandfathers were miners, whose grandfathers were miners, whose fathers were miners, who they were miners, and they wanted their kids to also be miners, right? And she ripped that away from them. Imagine that. Imagine ripping away. That is essentially, she colonized her own country. She went in and she took that over and she outsourced energy away from those uh, areas she outsourced it to whatever she got now we're getting oil from the middle east and america instead of energy from our own places and of course it's not green energy i'm not defining i'm not defending mining in this sense i'm just saying when we look at those white working class voters right who do make me feel very pessimistic about the future because of the fact that they have a growing tendency to vote for ukip to vote for brexit parties to vote for parties like the bmp to vote for parties like the conservatives because of their conservative social tendencies i also have to understand these people have been disenfranchised for decades for decades liberal democracy did not work for them for decades liberal democracy did not fix all the problems that they had right they, they were faced with a decade of austerity after the financial crisis after the financial crisis a a crisis that they had no hand in playing at all no hand in playing at all people had no responsibility over the financial crisis at all it was the banks and it was the financiers faults they destroyed the economy but they were able to go scot-free and they were totally crippled and destroyed by the austerity that followed I mean, what do we expect from these towns and these cities that are constantly kicked to the curb? Of course, they're going to be angry. Of course, fascism is going to breed in these areas. But we have to battle it. We can't just look at them with a disdain. We can't just look at Brexit voters with our noses in the air and be like, oh, my God, these annoying flag Twitter people with their patriotic bullshit. Of course, these are the people who are most susceptible to this propaganda. They're the people who are the most susceptible to this bullshit that these far right-wing fascist groups operate with. And we have to understand that. We can't look at it in a 
very uh, in an almost elitist way i mean it's very weird for me to talk about elitism being a working class black kid but i do look at these people with with my nose stuck up sometimes and it does kind of demotivate me to kind of help the world a better be a better place but those are the exact kind of people that i need to help those are the exact kind of people who i'm fighting for those white working class people in those mining towns getting them back on their feet and whether they're voting for UKIP now, whether they're voting for BNP, it doesn't matter. My whole thing is not to get these university students who have, you know, um, uh, savior complexes. It's not to save them. It's to save those people out there. And so when I get on Twitter and I hear these people spewing right wing dogma, there's ways in which we can deal with it. We can organize. We can get together and have a discourse and we can get close we've gotten close god damn it 2017 jeremy corbyn nearly beat a conservative majority government jeremy corbyn a out socialist did that in 2017 and yes 2019 was a crushing defeat but he's not stopped Jeremy Corbyn hasn't stopped even after the media hounded him even after the media destroyed labor and destroyed the heartlands and destroyed the core of labor he hasn't stopped fighting if he hasn't stopped fighting why are we stopping fighting yes bernie didn't win and people in america feel terrible they don't want to vote for biden because they know that biden is not the change they need but damn it do you think bernie sanders doesn't know this you think bernie doesn't look and say hey okay maybe it isn't the, the choice that you wanted maybe i didn't win but i got damn close and we're not gonna fight to look back and say we got this close without truly getting there and so that that pessimism there that pessimism that i look at how can we work together beyond just politics looking at the people in the world around me how am i going to get these bunch of hooligans these idiots to get around me and join up together well again history we've done it before we can do it again the world can be drastically changed do not be pacified by pessimism right do not don't don't ever let yourself be pacified by pessimism don't ever let yourself stop working hard for the battles that you need to overcome that you need to fight right and then we get onto a very, I think, a very important pessimism that we all deal with. It's personal pessimism. And personal pessimism, for me, it's the what. How can I change the world? What what, what am I gonna do? I feel like a lot of people feel like this. Oh, I'm just one person. I'm just an individual dealing with these incredible structures. How am I gonna change the world? And I felt that. I personally have felt that this podcast has been a culmination of me trying to do that. And sometimes when I don't get thousands of views or whatever, I know it's a, an ego thing. I'm like, oh, God damn it, how am I going to change the world with only 200 views? How am I going to make the world a better place? And I realize I'm only starting. I'm only 17. I hopefully have decades ahead of me where I can change the world. But I know that there are people in their 30s and 40s and their 50s who have been fighting against climate uh, change and global warming, who have been fighting for more socialism and for fighting for a better economy that serves the people, who have been fighting for the disarmament. Jeremy Corbyn, Bernie Sanders, they've been doing it their entire lives. I know that they've been doing that. And again, it's very hard... To, to, to be an individual in this 
And I think that the way that you get over this is to realize that you're not an individual in this. On the left, we are united in making the world a better place. We want to make the world a better place. We are together in that. Yes, leftists can never fucking agree on how we're actually going to do that. But we are not alone. You're not alone in trying to make the world a better place. You're not, right? And you never will be. As I said earlier, you are not an individual in this struggle. It may seem like it. It may seem like you're the only one who cares, but that's not true. There are organizations, there are uh, clubs, there are uh, areas of discourse in where you can join and you can try and make the world a better place. There are charities, there are access points that we can attack. There are pressure groups that you can join. And I will be having a link to those in the description of the YouTube channel, by the way. Uh, on the youtube video of this podcast episode where uh for the uk i'm not too familiar with us by the way but with the uk a bunch of different organizations that you can join and that you can get involved with today that are going to help the world be a better place you can educate yourself there are it's thousands of books thousands of books of people who have tried to make the world a better place who have put forward their arguments and who have tried to do it i mean that's what marx was doing right that's what Voltaire was doing right oh voltaire voltaire oh, the anarchist guy shit i forgot his name everyone forgets him he starts with a b he didn't like marx and the dictatorship of the proletariat but you know you know what i mean there have been a bunch of um academics people trying to educate people as individuals and make the world a better place and again looking at history sometimes we have to look at history and realize even if it does start as an individual there is nothing stopping you from making the world a better place. There's nothing. Nothing is stopping you from doing that. You might be alone in your battle, in your struggle, but it doesn't mean that there isn't anyone else out there, that you can't get on your side, that you are able to persuade. Because think about it like this. If that piece of literature or if that piece of politics or if that story, if that question was able to change you and motivate you that much, who's to say that it won't do the same to millions of other people? That's how movements start. It starts with a person being so motivating, being so swayed by amazing ideas that they share those ideas and they try to make the world a better place. That they try to make the world a better place and they try to make it better. And they try to understand this. So when I'm in the ugh zone, so when I'm in this zone where I just want to dive into my bed and not care, I have to remind myself of these things. And I'm not perfect. I know I'm saying this to you guys over the internet and the magical wizard fairies in your headphones or your speakers are saying this to you, but I will say this to you right now. I'm not perfect in this. The, the whole point of this podcast episode is to admit that and to look back at the past two months and realize I could have done a lot more, but I was stuck in the ah zone because of this pessimism, because of this pessimism that has controlled me and held me down for so long. But I'm ready to fight it. I'm ready to go against it. And I'm ready to fuel something. And I'm ready to fuel a movement. And I'm ready to learn from the mistakes. And I'm ready to go out there and struggle. Because we have to be ready for the struggle. We have to be ready for the struggle. But we also have to be careful of something else. We have to be careful to balance. We have to ensure that we are balanced. Because political burnout, god damn it, is it a thing? From March to august to july time i was very involved in politics i was getting involved in groups i was getting involved in discussions with my school i was getting involved in my podcast i was doing all these things and it was hard to keep up with 
damn it was it hard. It was very hard. I'll admit it straight away. It was very, very hard to get up with. Right? It's hard to continue doing these things. And you will be burned out. But you have to take care of yourself. You have to have balance. You have to make sure that you are not going too crazy with it. Listen, I want to throw a Molotov at 10 Downing Street. God damn it, I just wish I could. But is it the best thing for me right now? No, it's not. I have studies. Yes, I have the game that I have to play in order to survive. I have to. It's just part of it. It's depressing. It's saddening. But it's a game I have to play. I have to get into a good university so that I can get a really good education, so that I can be secure, so that I can continue on with this. I don't have the privilege of flunking out of school. I know that's a struggle, but I have to have a balance. Sometimes I have to take a break. Sometimes I do have to stop and say, hey, look, I have to stop. I have to take a break. And I've kind of done that. That's been part of my ah moment as well. Part of my ah moment has been burnout. Part of my ah moment has been a bit of me saying, okay, you know what? I really do need to just take a break. I need to cycle. I need to go out and I need to say, what do I like about the world again? Why do I care? What what, what am I fighting for? Remind myself that I need to ground myself, come back to a normal, right? Come back to a point where I can just breathe. And I would cycle around my city and I would look at the trees. I'd look at nature. I'd do things that I didn't have the time to do when I was so wrapped up in the politics of everything. And I would balance myself. You know, Aristotle and his virtue ethics is very inspirational in this sense of the way he talks about the eudaimonia and how he talks about, you know, the mean of the uh, excesses of the vices um, and, you know, the deficiency in the excess. And how he talks about there's, there's a deficiency in politics, right? You can be too apathetic, you can be not involved at all, and there's an excess right this way you can be too involved in it you can get too caught up in the in the political game you can get too caught up in politics and making it your entire identity and there's a golden kind of mean there's a goldilocks zone right that's what i understand from aristotle's whole ethics right is that there's goldilocks zones there's there's places where we can take it too far and there's places where we cannot do enough but we need to find that goldilocks zone and in political activism that goldilocks zone that balance that mean is sometimes gonna require you to just step away it's gonna require you to just stop for a moment and say hey my head hurts from all of this my head really does hurt and i need a break and i tried to do that i hope you guys can appreciate that i hope you guys can understand that i love this podcast i love it i truly do love speaking and i'm reminded of why i like it so much as i'm recording it right now just freestyling off my head why i like talking so much because all the ideas all the things that i've just said really invigorated me to carry this on and have really motivated me but at the same time damn it did i need a break I'm 17, I have a massive amount of pressure this year with A-levels, a massive amount with university expectations, a massive amount of schoolwork, a massive amount of the world is fucking terrible, and I hate it, okay? All of those problems. But I realized as well at the same time that I had to ensure that I didn't drive myself mad, because that's what I used to do. 
I used to work myself to death. I would just constantly work, 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 be involved in everything, be totally 100% dedicated. And yes, I'm a very dedicated person. That's what happens with me. When I want something, I will do it. I will put 100% into it. And that's good. That's a great quality that I have. It shows that I'm a dedicated, committed person. <laughs> Cambridge, if you're listening to this. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the same time, what would happen after those weeks or those days of just pure dedication to something i would just i would just crash and i would my balance would totally be thrown in the air i would totally lose all balance i would totally lose all positioning i would have no understanding of it at all i would just be like lost my head would hurt i would throw myself onto my bed and i wouldn't want to do anything else and that is a terrible place to go to it truly is. It's a terrible place to go to when you're feeling that kind of way. I totally understand it. But at the same time, we uh, we, we have to ensure that, that there's a balance. You know, we have to ensure that you're dedicated to your craft. You're dedicated to making the world a better place. You're dedicated to ensuring that you can do all you can. But at the same time, you just got to stop sometimes. You just got to say, hey there's a need for a balance i don't want to go into the ah zone the ah zone is when the balance is thrown off because the balance is totally thrown off in the ah zone in the ah zone you want to do everything but you're stuck laying in bed it's a truly depressive state and you know literature philosophy political discourse are very easy to be depressive states i mean look at philosophy after like the 18th century right it's just it's just edgy sad boy shit i mean that's entirely what nietzsche was doing right nietzsche is the emo trap of freaking philosophy with his sadness and his depressing ass views on the world and camus and the existentialists and schopenhauer and all these depressive ass philosophers and even before that them looking at the world and saying that the world is a despicable evil place it's very easy to get caught up especially in the areas that i am in in the you know fields that i engage with it's very easy to get you know, to be pessimistic, to lose all balance, to get thrown into the ah zone. But at the same time, I need to understand that that's not necessary. I don't need to force myself into these places. I don't need to push myself to an absolute extreme to where if I'm not constantly doing something, I just entirely crash and then I'm out for the next couple of weeks because that's not healthy at all. So while we have to, of course, fight through the pessimism, we have to fight through the hardship, we have to fight through the struggle, we also have to make sure we get that balance. Because, I mean, there's no point in me trying to constantly fight if I'm not going to be at my mental peak, if I'm not going to be at my physical health peak, if I'm not going to be able to function the best that I can. If I'm being depleted, like truly depleted, if I'm feeling drained after every single day, there's something wrong. I need to restore some motivation. I need to restore that burnout and, and you know go over it again and kind of just snooze and get back onto everything again. Of course, that doesn't mean I just get lost and I give up. I'm going to come back to it, but I do have to take breaks. I do have to ensure that I don't fall into the zone, which I've tried very hard not to. And sometimes that means just doing it. Right, that's what I said with this episode episode of the podcast. I said, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna just do this shit. I'm just gonna get on this podcast, I'm gonna talk my shit, I'm gonna try and be inspirational, I'm gonna try and get my listeners to hear what I'm saying, and I'm gonna hope they like it. I hope you guys do like this, I hope you guys do learn something from this. 
you learn something from this podcast because it's very easy as i said to fall into the arc zone when you're off balance you gotta have the balance you gotta understand balance balance is a very important thing now i said that there was a third part as well i said there's a third part to this and it's hatred now i've been thinking about hatred what is hatred I have a very optimistic view of hatred, which is weird because I've just been talking about pessimism and the Ach zone for the past 40 minutes. Hatred for me, somebody hates something when they look at it and they know it could be better. That is for me what hatred is. When you hate something, you see it as an incomplete, not good thing that could be so much better and you hate it for what it is. You hate it for what it is and what it is not what it could be you hate it because it's not what you want it to be you hate it because it's that and not what you want it to be that's what hatred stems from for me how is that an optimistic view well i'm a bit of a weird guy but let me explain that to you when i engage with people conservatives when i engage with people on the right when i engage with people who say they hate socialism or they hate x or whatever they hate what they think it is and what they and because it's not what they want it to be because i've talked to a lot of conservatives i've spoken to a lot of people not libertarians libertarians are too far gone fuck libertarians iron runs a piece of shit so is robert nozick they should all die well actually they are dead i hope they go to hell the the, 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 the anarcho-capitalists they're just scum of the earth but i'm speaking to some you know conservatives not the crazy nazis but just people who care about things like family values you know these marriage these these principles that to a kid who's very left-wing like me they're they're stupid but at the same time i kind of also have to understand them so when they when they see these you know these sinful acts as they call them and they feel a hatred what they're actually sensing what they're actually feeling is a kind of weird what i've kind of understood this is very pseudo-scientific i'm not trying to give you like a psychoanalytical understanding but what i see it with these people who are because not everyone's on the fringes of the political spectrum most people are in the center well like you know they are either politically you know apathetic or they're not really engaged sometimes we do get too caught up in the inter in in the internet and how everyone is very extreme and overzealous on the internet as usual because of course everyone is able to hyperbolize without not getting to actually any meat of it in the real world and not doing anything and just shouting about because their their anonymity and etc etc everyone knows what the internet's like but i was speaking to some conservatives and i was like you know all the things that they hated were these conceptions of what they didn't want the world to be like they want the world to be a certain way right they want a world to be a certain way and they see deficiencies in the world and i'm thinking with hatred how can we change hatred how can we change hatred and i think if we fundamentally understand hatred as people viewing something that they have total disdain towards they totally hate because they don't like it for what it is and they want it to be something better if we see hatred as a positive thing as people don't dislike that thing they just want it to be better then we can we can understand each other we can come to not compromises because i'm very against compromising i'm never gonna compromise with a capitalist not compromises but we can come to common understandings of what is good what we need to do when I'm speaking to um, conservatives and I'm talking, they're talking about the family and family values. And I say to them, "Hey, capitalism doesn't do this, though. Conservatism and the conservatives hasn't been about family values. Hasn't been about this. It's just been about maintaining power. It's just been about maintaining unjust authority." And speaking with them like that, I'm like, "Don't you hate that? 
Shouldn't we really look at your source of hatred? Shouldn't we try and fix together and understand how we can make the world a better place? Because there are going to be people who at first glance don't seem like they align with you. But if you speak to them, if you understand where their hatred comes from, if you understand their ignorance, and a lot of time it is ignorance because hatred does stem a lot of times from ignorance. If you understand their hatred, you can make the world a better place. And I really didn't understand that. I really didn't understand that when I saw the hatred in the world, when I saw the disdain, when I saw the disenfranchisement of the people is also a thing that is very easy to make you feel pessimistic and make you feel dismotivated. But you have to understand that ignorance. You have to understand that hatred. I don't know if I'm totally coming across as um, being of perfect sense. What I'm saying might be nonsensical, but I think if you understand what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say here without waffling too much because I'm also getting tired because I've spoken at length for the past 43 minutes, if audacity is correct, is that hatred stems from a place of ignorance. If we understand that hatred as being what people think it is not and what they it's it, it, that this thing is what they want it to be and understanding, OK, what do you want it to be? How can we get it there? How can we make the world a better place for each other? How can we change the thing that we hate into something that we can one day love, that we can one day appreciate? And that is corny and cheesy as fuck, but God damn it is trying to make the world a better place already corny and cheesy as fuck. So we have to make the world a better place and to understand that we have to understand what we hate and we have to understand how we can change it and we can work together to change it and how what you hate and what I hate might actually be the same thing. It might actually be the same thing, but because we get stuck in this partisan bullshit, because we get stuck in this, you know, sectarianism and this tribal nature, we forget what the hell are we even fighting about? What do we hate? What do we hate? What is causing this hate? What is causing this ignorance? And how do we defeat it? That's another thing that we should be thinking about. That's another thing we should be thinking about. And I've realized I've been speaking for 45 minutes. But it doesn't feel like 45 minutes. It's been speaking. It's been felt. It's felt like I've been speaking for like 30 seconds. But I guess time flies. Time really does fly. And I speak really quickly. And I've said a bunch of things. But I think I've gotten a, a message. I think I've shared what I've wanted to share. I think I've really hit the zone. And I've gotten out of this ugh area. I know I changed the name to the ugh area. It's now the ugh area. It was the ugh zone before. But now it's the ugh area because I changed it. <laughs> because I decided to but anyway I hope you understand that I hope your pessimism I hope maybe your political burnout I hope those feelings those moments when you just feel like a cog in a machine and you don't know how to change the world and the world feels so big and the world feels so scary and the world feels so against you that you know that we can change that we can make the world a better place because ultimately I do think we can and we have to keep that hope within us the entire time. But we also have to have a balance. A balance? A balance? A balance. I'm not even going to edit that out. I'm going to keep that in. Because I'm enthusiastic about this episode. And I think it will do great. And I know that I'm going to get my message across. And I'm going to make the world a better place. Because I'm going to work with other people to make the world a better place. But thank you guys. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Left Wing Propaganda Machine. I've been your host, your producer, your editor, your artist, your everything essentially because this is a one-man machine. It's been Mohammed Hassan. Um, like, subscribe, do all those nice things. Hit up my Patreon. I don't really care. I don't really deserve money right now because I haven't really been posting. If you want to give me money, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. It's totally your choice. There's a bunch of stuff on there. You can hit me up. We can talk about it. We can get some things, some shebangings, some shing shong shings. I don't know what I'm saying, but we can get some things done and make the world a better place. 
I hope you guys are doing great. I hope you guys are continuing to be amazing freaking people. It's been Muhammad Hassan. I've said that for like the 50th time, but peace out, my dudes.